0: Joshua chapter 5, they just crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Much like Moses took them across the Red Sea on dry ground. And now the people are respecting Joshua as they did Moses. And in chapter 5, so it was when all the kings of the Amorites that were on the west side of the Jordan, the place they uh, were coming over now to, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from above before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their hearts melted and there is no spirit in them and any longer because of the children of Israel. And so really we see here spiritual strongholds broken down. You know, the, these, these Kings' hearts were melted. The people, they had no strength left in them. They they, they realized that God is with them. And that thought decimated them. Boy, how we need to remember in Ephesians 6:12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's not against man, and he's, a pup, he's being puppeted. It's, it's the demonic host that's, that's holding our country and the world in its clutches, its demonic clutches. And the answer is God being amongst us. The answer is God being with us in power and in might. It's, it's God's presence, and that presence doing miraculous and powerful things that's going to cause Satan to cringe. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, though we walk in the flesh, we're in human carnage, <laughs> we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal of this earth, of flesh and blood, what you can see and touch, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity To the obedience of Christ. And here we see if you would. These Amorites and these Canaanites. Who are a manifestation of Satan's power. Really on the earth. These guys were in some really wicked things. As we'll discover. And uh, here now. If you would. The the strongholds of Satan are ripped apart. And these people realize that the, the power of God is no match. For the power of their false gods and their demons and uh, their demonic ways. And in verse two, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised him. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed. Because... They did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give, give us as a land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were, uncircumcised, they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. This is amazing to me. If you go back to Genesis seventeen seven, God said to Abraham, "This is my seal between you and me. Your child shall be circumcised on the eighth day, and anybody of your lineage who does not do this is to be cut off, put to death." I mean, there there is no flex room in here. The children of Israel were four hundred thirty years in Egypt. Paid no mind to it. They come out of Egypt and the first thing is, hey, we've got to begin a life of obedience. And they were circumcised, but never on the way. Forty years, not one kid had been circumcised. It's amazing to me how, you know, to one person it can seem like a little disobedience. Just a little omission. But yet unto God, it was huge disobedience. It was a huge omission. And had he stayed with what he had told Abraham, all these people should have been put to death for not having circumcised their sons. And here you see the grace of God. He now brings them across the Jordan as he had brought their forefathers out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And on the other side of the Red Sea, let's get things right before we go into the promised land. Well, now... You know, it wasn't their faults, okay? When they were eight on the eighth day, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't have a, a big say in this. Their, their parents were negligent. And so God's not holding them against them at this point, but he's saying, now, let's be circumcised. And, you, you know, just, just a quick little point here. Parents, if you get your kids obeying the Lord at a very early age, It's a lot less painful for them as they get older. I mean, it's one thing being circumcised on your eighth day of life. It's another being circumcised on your 48th year of life. You know, there's just a whole lot of nuances with it that uh, make it quite a bit more humiliating, painful, and, and all of those things. And, and here again, we see that they were willing. It, 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 just, it sort of just dumbfounds me. I'm just sort of in shock that these people went 40 years with just a blatant disregard for a very predominant and clear teaching and understanding of what God expected of them in this area of circumcision. You know, and, and you just need to sort of stop a minute. And and ask yourself, is there just some clear, obvious thing that God has commanded us that we have just disregarded? You know, Jesus said, "Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth." Blessed is the man who meditates in my word day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bears fruit in its season as. His uh, leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does prospers. But you know, it always amazes me is when they come out with a, a poll uh, across churches, it's always like 90% of Christians don't read their Bible. And, and it's amazing that most churches, you show up to church without your Bible, you're perfectly fine without it. You don't really need it couple verses are read, and then the guy just talks about what he was going to talk about hardly relates to the verses. But yet God has clearly told us in 2 Timothy 2.15 that all of us are to be workmen, studying the word of God, rightly dividing every truth in it that we're not ashamed. That's just the area of the word. Then we could go to prayer. Then we could go to teaching our children while you sit down and rise up and walk along the way, putting the word of God into their life. And we could go to the area of finances, honoring God with the first, the top, the best. We could go working for our employers unto the Lord or employees, treating your employees as God's told you to treat them. I mean, there's so many areas, but we just need to sort of stop and just say, have I been the last year, 10 years? 40 years knowing clearly what God has commanded me to do and just not doing it too hard, too painful, too out of the norm. I mean, I, I'll, I'll grant it. Circumcision is not in the norm typically. Out of the norm. But yet at the same time, it's, it's what God has commanded us. And of course, for us in the New Testament, there's a lot said about Circumcision. The Bible says that the circumcision that God's concerned about, that this was prophesying of, was a circumcision of the heart. Not with hands, it says in Colossians 2. But Romans 2 says it's the heart, that it's a living thing, not a material thing. That what this is representing is that our sin nature is cut away from our hearts. And in that place, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our life. And so in essence, they're saying your non-spiritual life, living life in your own strength, in your own power, in your own way, has to die here. And they made this big hill of all these foreskins. This is your flesh that's dead, done away with, put away from you. Now you're going to walk in the promises of God. You're going to walk by faith. And as Christians, we need to come to that place to say, I'm dying to my flesh. I'm dying to that old sin nature. And I'm going to be living a life in the Spirit by faith. Interesting. You, you think, well, maybe Moses never mentioned circumcision in the last 40 years. After, actually, he did. He did a few times. One of the times he mentioned it was Deuteronomy chapter 10. In verse 15 and 16. And he says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. He chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of what? Your heart. And be stiff-necked no longer. Interesting that he mentioned uh, circumcision, but he, he, he mentioned that those of you who are circumcised, In flesh, it it didn't reach any part of you in a spiritual way, he's saying. There's another circumcision that needs to take place. And he's there telling them in Deuteronomy, you're stiff-necked, self-willed, unsubmitted, unyielded people. And you need to have a circumcision of the heart. Well, then in verse 10, now the Oh, verse 9, I think. The Lord said to Joshua this day, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place will be called Gilgal, which means uh, rolling to this day. And of course, Gilgal will become a very famous uh, landmark as we study through the Old Testament. Now, the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month on on the twilight of the plains of Jericho. Last week when we saw them crossing the Jordan and the, dry, and the Jordan River dried up and they went across on dry ground, it was on the 10th day of Nisan. If you go back, remember the 10th day was the day they were to find the lamb and, and then present it to see if it would be approved without spot, without blemish. On that day they were crossing the Jordan And now here we are four four days later and it's the time of Passover. And here he's saying, hey, this is Passover day and we need to obey the Lord in Passover. And they ate of the produce of the land on that day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Interesting point here, guys. The last time they partook of Passover, they were in Egypt. God said every year, (laughs) you're to take of Passover. The last 40 years they've been in the wilderness, guess what they never did? They never took of Passover. They didn't circumcise their children. They didn't obey God in the festivals and Passover, where they remember how God brought them out of Egypt. And of course, prophetically, Jesus, the Passover lamb, we took communion here tonight and it's, it's the tail end of the Passover meal where Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. But they hadn't done it. And so, you know, we're looking at these people that didn't cross over into the promised land. We're going, <clears throat> wow, there was that one thing, you know, where that one moment they didn't believe God they could conquer the giants and take them into the promised land. And now we're sort of getting behind the scenes here. And we're, we're beginning to realize it wasn't that one thing. That one day where they had no faith, but was a manifestation of all the days and the weeks, and of course, we would see eventually play out in years. There is no obedience in their heart. They never, when they were in the middle, middle of the wilderness with nothing to do, they still wouldn't circumcise their children. They still didn't take of the of the feast that God said, I require this every year. Every male, 20 years old and above, must do this. And he made it clear if you don't do this, you're to be cut off. You're, n- you're no longer to be a part of the family of God. There's a death sentence for not doing this. And they never did it. Not one or two, but all of them. And now they come in and Joshua is saying, guys, we're going to obey the Lord, get circumcised, here it is on the fourteenth day. I don't care. We just crossed over in the Jordan. We got a lot of fighting to do. We, you know, we're barely situated. We're in a new location. This is inconvenient. It's, it's not a very good time. We're thinking about uh, the future. You know, let's just not do Passover this year, and we'll think about it next year. And Joshua's like, no way, no how. We're gonna do this. And they did that, and they ate of the unleavened bread. But notice where they got the bread the parched grain, that very same day from the produce of the land. So they crossed over and there was a field of wheat and the people began to gather it. And there they made the bread. And notice in verse 12, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. You know, that's that's just sort of a radical moment in time. To wake up that day their whole life. That's all they've known. Wake up in the morning before the sun gets hot and gather the manna from the rocks. I wonder like a week later or a month later, they're going, man, that manna. Wouldn't mind tasting that again, you know? But never is going to happen. Never is going to happen. And in verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went up to him. Joshua's rather brave here. And he said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. <clears throat> but the commander of the army of the Lord, I have, co- I have now come. So at this moment in time, the commander of the Lord, we're going to discover here in a minute, this is God called a theophany or a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. We saw him as a wrestler with Jacob. We saw him as Melchizedek with Abraham. We saw him in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's many theophanies of Christ's appearance in the Old Testament. But but here, he says, right now, I'm not for you. Boy, that's a humbling thing, isn't it? Am I for our enemies? No, no, I'm definitely not for your enemies. But right now, I'm not for you either. That's a pretty heavy statement. As a commander of the army of the Lord, I can tell you right now, I'm I'm not for you either at this moment. And when Joshua heard that, notice what he did in verse 14. He fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to a servant? <laughs> okay, I, I, I sense here displeasure. I, I sense that I'm not where I need to be, that you can be for us. And, and, and I love Joshua. We see so many people of the body, or so many people in the Bible, full of pride and arrogance when God comes to rebuke them, when God comes to chastise them. They they get all puffed up and prideful and arrogant and often want to argue with the Lord or bargain with the Lord or <clears throat> But Joshua, I just love this. He just he just melts at the thought of not of God not being for him, not being for Israel at that moment. It just breaks him. And he just falls on his face and he begins to worship and and he says, What does the Lord? want me to do? How, how can I change this? I'm your servant. You're the Lord. You're the commander. And, and see, that's where things had changed because Joshua had gone out and he was by Jericho. He was scouting things out. He was trying to figure out a, a plan of attack, a formula that, that he might have in his own strength, in his own mind, a plan that he would devise and then ask God to bless his plan. And he's saying, at this point, I'm not for you because I'm not here to bless your plan. And then at that point, in verse 15, then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. Remember Joshua, this timid guy? We saw in chapter one, the Lord kept having to say, be strong, be of good courage. I'm with you. You can do this. And then then the people come out going, hey, be strong, be of good courage. And uh, if the Lord's with you as with with Moses, we're for you. But if the Lord's not with you as with Moses, um, you're gonna have a hard time, Joshua. And here we see as Moses lifted his staff, they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, now... Joshua parts the Jordan at the flood time about a mile wide and go across on dry ground. It says, they, it says there in chapter 4 that the people re- revered Joshua as they did Moses. But maybe Joshua is having thoughts of, you know, I, you know, I'm, I, I heard an echo. You know, Moses heard the voice. And then I heard from Moses what God said. I heard the echo. Man, Moses, I was with that guy for 80 years, and, or 40 years, and, and I heard in those 40 years, I, I heard many, many times him telling people about that burning bush story and how God met him in that burning bush, and oh, man, I'd love to be there. And, and if you would now, this is sort of Joshua's burning bush moment. Where God now is not meeting him in a burning bush, but meeting him as a soldier. And he says to him, Here you go, Josh. I know this is in your heart. You feel like you're not the, the man, the leader, because you didn't have your, your moment where I gave you the command as I gave Moses the command to go to Egypt. So here's your burning bush story take off your shoes. This is holy ground. God saying that I, I want you to be deeply touched by my presence. I don't want anything between me and and you. My presence is here. Take off your shoes and, and experience the full presence uh, of God here in this place. You know, that's that's the key, isn't it? I mean it's not a bush, <laughs> it's not a location, it's not a building. I mean, it could be any of those things. If God is there, us, You've all been to church in some place, somewhere, and God wasn't there. They sang the same songs. They tried to preach a sermon. It sort of was a flop, fell on the floor. People were nice to each other, and it was like, it was like a funeral service. And you, you leave the place going, it's dead, They sang the songs of worship. They used the Bible, but it was dead worship leaders. The worship was dead. It was a dead pastor preaching a dead sermon to dead people. And it was just death. And you realize, as we look in church history, that can happen to anybody. That can happen to us. We read the church in Revelation, and, and there we see... Seven different churches who are on the verge of God taking the candlestick away because again, are you with us or against us? No. I'm not against your, I'm not for your enemies, but I'm not for you either right now. Because you are living in your own strength, you're formulating your own plans, you're living life as seems best unto you. And it's not my will. It's not my way. It's not something that I can empower and strengthen and bless. And so in chapter 6, so Jericho and Joshua did so. He obeyed the Lord in chapter 6. Now Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel, uh, none went out and none came in and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand it's, and its king and the mighty men of valor. There it is. I have given it. It's not a matter of you going and conquering it. I've already given it to you. As Christians, we're not fighting for victory. We already have the victory. Read the last chapter. Read the last book of the Bible, guys. We win. The devil loses. I mean, he doesn't believe that. He's thinking he can somehow get away from revelation and not being fulfilled. But it's going to happen. We win the war. And here he says, I've already given it to you. And this is what my plan is in verse 3. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. So a total of 13 times. Isn't it, have you ever heard number 13? No, oh, it's an unlucky number hey, guys, let me tell you something. It is a very unlucky number for Satan. But for Christians, there is no unlucky number. Somebody this morning asked me going, man, I, I was hearing this person and they said that, you know, Halloween is a evil time. It's Satan's time. And that, that even churches that have harvest festivals are really encouraging Satan and his night and whatever. I said to her, "Yeah, we should be like the Jehovah Witnesses and go lock our door and hide." And oh, you know, we got to wait till this night's over. It's a birthday run. Ah! A flag salute. Duck. You know what? God owns all 365 days of the year. Not one of them belongs to Satan. He can call it Mardi Gras, he can call it Halloween, or he can call it whatever he wants. We own it. And when Satan steps up and says, I want to own a day, we step up and say, uh-uh, we're going to own this day. I-, I love Halloween. I love having a big giant Halloween party and evangelize and see people get saved on Halloween in particular. Isn't that great? We're in war here. We're not laying down and saying, oh, Satan owns that one. Okay, well, that's his. No. That's our day. It's the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it, and He wants to try to have a party that, that glorifies evil and Him, and well, we're going to have a party glorifying purity and holiness and our Lord. You want to celebrate over there in darkness? We're going to be over here in the light having a great time. And here we I, I love this here where he, he comes, and he says, on number 13, that's our lucky number, guys. That's the number of victory. At least for these guys here it is. It's the number of Satan's defeat. And in verse 5, it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet and all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. And it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven ram horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets in the ark of the covenant and the Lord followed them and the armed men went before the priest and blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued blowing the trumpets and Joshua had commanded the people saying you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you shout then you shall shout so that's that's some serious obedience there it's, it's, it's a miracle when we don't talk. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing not to talk for some of us more than others. But to try to get, you know, three million people with all your kids and your little ones and everybody and, and to walk around the giant city of Jericho without saying a word, that's some serious obedience there. In verse 11, so he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once and then they came into this camp and lodged in the camp. Again, I wonder how many of those soldiers of Israel, the mighty men, are feeling pretty stupid. We're walking around the city with our wives and our kids and cruising around. Some trumpets are blowing and adrenaline's pumping, and we march around and let me go home. That would be hard. That would be hard going, come on, at least let us shoot a couple of arrows. And Joshua rose early in the morning in verse 12 and the priest took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets and the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp so they did six days but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early around the dawning of the day and the march around the city seven times in the same manner and on the day on that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, it happened when the priests blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I love this. It wasn't after the city's defeated, now let's praise the Lord. Let's praise him in advance. He's already given us the victory. And they began to shout and to thank the Lord. For the victory, and the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and it and all who are in it, only Rahab, harlot, shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that that he sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and the iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come to the treasury of the Lord. So this first city, even though it was a wealthy city with a lot of spoil, God says it's mine. Boy, it's so important we understand that. The first is the Lord's, right? The first is the Lord's. That top ten percent is the Lord's, and above that of an offering. I, I heard a, a funny story this week where a pastor told the congregation he's going to teach on tithing. And and this is how he did it. He brought up two giant tables. And on the one table he had this giant bag, and somebody brought out this giant bag of peaches. And he said, Okay, this peach is for the Lord and he put it over on the corner. And then he took the bag of peaches and he dumped it out on the table this is my table he said this is all mine then he somebody brought out a bag of oranges he took one of them out he put it over there and said lord that's your orange this is my table whoa he dumps up the oranges on the table and then he brings out some more fruit and some more fruit and and there he's lining up the one for the lord and About halfway through, he was like, Lord, I can't even keep all the fruit on my table. And there you are, just a few fruits lined up. You need some more of my fruit? No problem. I can't even keep it on the table. And he grabs some of the fruits off his table and he puts it on the Lord's table. And he goes, that wasn't a tie. That's an offering. And then he kept bringing out bags until... His table was overflowing and just dumping. And it was just so amazing, a, a, a picture of, of how the Lord's only asked the top 10%. And he's allowed us to have a mountain of 90%. And then whatever you want to give as an offering of, the, of your heart. It, it, there's just a powerful blessing giving the first to the Lord. And as we're going to discover In the next chapter, there's a powerful cursing, taking from the Lord that which is his. And so here the Lord is establishing them. The first is the Lord's. And in verse 20, so the people shouted with the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. And then the people went up unto the city, and every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, the edge of the sword. And Joshua said to the men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, um, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother and her brothers and all that she had. And they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of the bronze and the iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her house, father's house and all that she had. And she dwells in the Israel to this day. And remember, she's the great-grandmother of King David, ultimately The great, 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 great great mother of Jesus according to the flesh. You can read in Matthew chapter 1. This woman of an accursed people. As you remember back in Genesis 15. God said, Abraham, go walking through this land. Wherever you step, it's going to be your promised land. But then the Lord spoke to him and he said, I'm not giving it to you yet. I'm going to give the people of that land four generations, 400 years to come to repentance. And they didn't. They polluted the land. And, you know, they were in, as we know, into killing their children, their babies, burning them. They were into homosexuality and bestiality. And, you know, I mean, no telling what kind of diseases these people had. And God says, when you go in, I I don't want any of these people polluting the people of God. They're all to be put to death. They had a chance to leave. They still have a chance to leave. If they don't leave, they're not to be around. I don't want you because they're eventually going to sway you to begin worshiping their pagan gods. And so Rahab was saved with all her household. And Joshua, verse 26, charged him at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who raises up and builds this city, Jericho, he shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up his gates. Make a note there, 1 Kings sixteen thirty Hundreds of years from this time, indeed, there would be a man by the name of uh, Hiel who would work on rebuilding Jericho. And sure enough, as they laid the foundations, his son, Abiram, died. And when they set up the gates, his His firstborn, Abiram, died. And then when they set up the gates, his youngest son, Zigub, died. And in verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. So the Lord was with Joshua as he had been indeed uh, with Moses. And Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. And we know for some of us tonight, Lord, you're speaking to us on obedience For some of us, Lord, the areas of our flesh that need to be circumcised. For some of us to quit frustrating ourselves by asking you to bless our plans and just to submit to allow you to speak to us your plan that we can hear it. And Lord, we right now, like Joshua We fall on our face. We worship you. And we say in our hearts right now, we are your servants. What is it you want? When? Where? How? Tell us how high to jump. That's how high we jump. You are our Lord, our God. You're the commander of our life, of our mouth, of our hands, of our homes, of our finances, of our workplace, of our marriage, of our kids. You are the commander of this vessel. I submit to you. You're my Lord, my God. I What you want, when you want, how you want it. Tonight is our opportunity, God's leading us into a promised land. Spiritually, God's taking us into a deeper place. We are now in the process of crossing the Jordan here. God's taking us now through a place, and we all want to go. We all want to be obedient. We don't want to be like the Manasseh and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh standing on the other side. We want to go. Let's all go where God would have us to go. Lord, where is the area that need to be circumcised? Lord, what are the Passover things that we're not doing that are so clear? Lord, forgive us in our own strength, and our own self-will. What is it you want, Lord? We're yielded. We're will- you're yielded to you. Let's all stand together right now. Let's just pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen, amen.